I want to welcome you to church this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're very happy that you're here. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, Benjamin mentioned, uh, just um, quickly by way of introduction, Benjamin mentioned that we have baptism classes coming up uh, the next couple weeks. Uh, it's on the front of your current uh, baptism classes, January 19th and January 26th. They're both at 915. And it says here, now you might be thinking Benjamin got it wrong because he said you only have to attend one, and it says in here two, but the current is wrong. That's my fault. I didn't get the uh, communication to, to the people who put the current together in time, uh, by which I mean I didn't get it to them at all, uh, <laughs> which is not in enough time. Uh, so that didn't get uh, changed. You only have to come to one. Uh, please come to one of them. Uh, we do ask that you come if you are interested in getting baptized so that we can talk through what baptism is, make sure you understand uh, what, what we believe baptism to be, uh, why we think you should be baptized, and so forth. So uh, if that's something that the Lord is, is pressing on you, and if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, we think that is something that the Lord is calling you to do. So we'd invite you to come to that. Please sign up uh, online. You can register for the class online just so that we know who's coming. So, now, if you have your Bible, please open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers will be happy to give you one. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to keep this one. Last week, we began a, a short series, a five-part series. Uh, we're calling Decoding Our Mission Values. And you may be thinking, yes, you need to decode that because I have no idea what mission values are. Well, we explained it, and, and uh, you can go back and listen. Pastor Bob was up here walking through exactly what we, we think those, those are and, and how we understand it, but we explained it basically like this. Uh, mission values are biblical priorities for guiding our ministry, and they act as the plumb line for developing and evaluating ministry that aligns to our mission. So if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that our mission is advancing the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. And we don't think that's just our mission. We think that's the mission of the church. Those are just the words that we use to talk about it. So if that's our mission, then what exactly do we do to accomplish that mission? And if that's the mission of the church, uh, there's uh, all sorts of churches come up with all sorts of different ways that they seek to accomplish that mission. And so our mission values sort of form the, the, the in-between ground between our mission, what we're here to do, and our practice, what we actually uh, do, the, all the things that you see that we do. They're the, the, the DNA, the core commitments that we have as a church and say, if we're going to advance the gospel by making disciples who make disciples, these five things need to be present in our ministry these five things need to shape the way that we do ministry here. And we said, it's these five, dependent on the Spirit, rooted in the Bible, centered on the gospel, devoted to one another, and focused on the mission. Now, last week, Pastor Tom uh, got up and, and, and talked through that first one, being dependent on the Spirit. And that ultimately, if we're going to be a church that advances the gospel by making disciples who make disciples, we need to understand that that work is the result of God's work, that it is God who advances the gospel, that it is God who makes disciples, that it is God who grows disciples. Now, that doesn't mean that we just sit back and do nothing, uh, but 
we have to understand that all of the ministry that we do to advance the gospel and make disciples happens because God empowers it. It is God who is ultimately the evangelist. It is God who is ultimately the the disciple maker and that we are are, are simply participating in that work. But if if He's not working, our work is not going to accomplish anything. And so if we're going to be a disciple-making church, we need to be a church that is dependent on God's Spirit to do the work of ministry. But then the question that we have to answer is, how is it that the Spirit goes about doing this work? Does he just kind of zap people, right, as we're, as we're sitting around? No, we, we believe that the Holy Spirit uses means to accomplish his work. And the principal means that he uses to accomplish his work is Scripture, the Word of God. So we're going to talk this morning now about what, what does it look like to be a church that is dependent on the Spirit And in order to be dependent on the Spirit, we must be rooted in the Bible, the book that the Spirit wrote and that He chooses to use to transform people, to bring people to Christ and to help them grow to become more like Him. So this is how we define what it means to be rooted in the Bible. We believe that the Word of God is the primary tool that the Holy Spirit uses to do the work of bringing people to become forgiven followers of Jesus and cause them to grow to become like Him. We base all our ministry around the Bible as authoritative and sufficient. And this means that we read and preach directly from the Bible every week, as well as seek to organize all our ministry around the Word of God. Now, that shouldn't be shocking to you in all likelihood. If you've you've been with us, that, that shouldn't shock you that that's something that we would say, that we want to be a church that's rooted in the Bible and we talk about why that's important. I mean, I think you probably see that in in what we do. I hope you do. So you may be thinking, okay, well, why do we need to spend a whole week on on this? Yeah, we probably all agree about this already. Can we move on to the other stuff? But it would be supremely ironic if I were to stand up here and tell you that we're to be a church that's rooted in the Bible and then I didn't support that claim from the Bible, right? So we need to talk about what the Bible itself says about being rooted in Scripture for our lives and our ministry. Why must our lives and ministry be rooted in the Bible? And so to understand what we mean by this idea of being rooted in the Bible, we're going to look at this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to discuss first what the Bible is, and second, what the Bible does what the Bible is and what the Bible does, and then after that, we can talk through what are the implications of that for our lives and our ministry. So let's pray and ask for God's help, and then we'll get into the Bible. Oh Lord, will you help us as we come to read the book that you have given to us, as we come to read what was written for our instruction Give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us insight. We know that as the the Scriptures are read and and truly expounded, your voice is truly heard. So we pray, O God, that you would speak for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 15. Uh, I'm going to read it, and, and we don't do this all the time, 
but I would ask uh, right now, maybe we, you would stand for the reading of God's Word. We don't do this because it's tradition. Uh, we don't do it just to get some exercise so your blood is flowing. Right? We do this because as I read the Scriptures, this is the only time this whole morning that you are going to hear something that you can know with 100% truth is the voice of God. 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 to 17. From your childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. So first we're going to look at what Paul says the Bible is. Now this isn't the only place that we learn in Scripture what Scripture is, what the Bible teaches about itself. There are many other places that we could go, but this is an important one. The, the main thing we learn about what the Bible is here is we found at the beginning of verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. Now, that may be a bit confusing, particularly because of the way that we typically use words like inspired or inspiring or inspirational. Usually, those words and the way that we commonly use them refer to the effect that something uh, outside of us has on us, right? We, we read a book or we see a movie or we hear a story and we find it inspiring, inspirational. It, it, it motivates us in some way. It gives us all the feels. That's not what this means. That's not what being inspired by God means. When Paul uses this term here, He's not talking about the effect that Scripture has on us, though he talks about that in other places. He's not talking about the effect that Scripture has on us. He's talking about where Scripture originates, that it finds its origin, its source in God. The uh, Greek word for inspired is actually a, a, a compound word. It, it's made up of the word uh, theos, God, and noustos, breath or spirit. So, to say that the Bible is inspired is literally to say that it is God-breathed, or it is breathed out by God. This is very much what Jesus says when, when uh, Satan comes to tempt him in the desert, in the wilderness, and he says, man does not live by bread alone. I'm on a diet right now, uh, and so it should be man does not live by bread at all. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from the mouth of God. As I speak, breath comes out of my mouth to make sound, right? When God speaks, when He breathes out, it forms the Scriptures. Now, now Paul doesn't tell us uh, all the details about how that happens. You're thinking, wait, wait a minute, like what, how is it that, that the Bible is God's word and people wrote it and things, and there's other places we can go in Scripture to, to look at that and, and, and resources I can point you to to explain that. Paul doesn't explain it here, he simply states it as a fact. 
that Scripture is the, the Word of God. It's inspired, not in the sense that it's inspirational, but that God's Spirit is in it, right? Inspired. God spoke, and Scripture is the result. It came from His mouth. And so this is sort of a working definition we could use for, for inspiration, just to clarify that. Inspiration means that God caused the human authors of Scripture to write in such a way that the Bible alone, in its entirety, down to the very words, is exactly what God wants it to be in order to reveal Himself, so that what the Bible says is, without fail, what God says. That's what we believe about the Bible. We think that's what the Bible teaches about itself, that this book is without fail the very word of God, as if God stood here and spoke to you. That's the Bible. Paul also says something about the extent of inspiration. So that's what inspiration means. So it means to be inspired by God, that it's, it's breathed out by God. It's the word of God. But the extent of inspiration is also important. Paul says that it is what? All Scripture that is inspired by God. Now, that's important because it is typical, uh, certainly in our, in our culture, but I don't think it's just our culture. I think it's just human nature. It's typical for us to read the Bible and say, well, I like this bit. I don't like this bit, so I'm going to read this part, and I'm not going to read this part, and I'm not going to care about what that says. We have a tendency to say, oh, yeah, the Bible's inspired, but mostly just the parts that I read and like, right? Or, well, you know, we know God couldn't, couldn't say that. You know, God would never say that. Jesus wouldn't say that. That part must have been added later. Well, Paul says all Scripture is inspired, not just the parts we like, not just the parts we find inoffensive, not just the red letters, right? So you have these, the Bibles that have red letters for, for the words of Jesus, and that's, that's fine, uh, but, but understand that when the Bible was first written, it's not like the authors had two inkwells, one black and one red. When they came to the words of Jesus, they had to change pens, right? They, did, they didn't have that. That's something that, that our, our translators have, have done to help us identify where the words of Jesus are, but that doesn't give them more authority than the rest of the, the words, right? You see this every 10 years or so, another book comes out where somebody's like, I finally figured it out. What we really need to do is pay attention to the red letters, like, no, what you really need to do is pay attention to the whole thing. Jesus himself would say this. Jesus himself looked at the scriptures as authoritative, right? What did I we just quote from, from Matthew 4, Mark, where Jesus is in the wilderness and he, and he is quoting back to the devil. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as he's quoting uh, these things as an authority against the devil, he's quoting the book of Deuteronomy. He's saying this, this has divine authority. All Scripture is God-breathed. And then it's important that he uses the word Scripture. Scripture just means writing. Now, it's, it's not that uh, God simply inspired the uh, authors of Scripture uh, so that he, he kind of downloaded ideas into their mind and then gave them the freedom to kind of well, you guys, you know, just kind of riff on this for a little while and, and, and we'll call it even. That's good. 
No, he, he didn't inspire the, the author so much as he inspired the actual writings, the, the words that ended up on the page. That is what is inspired by God. So it's not like Paul went around and every single thing he said, and he could say, you have to listen to me because I'm an apostle and I'm inspired. And I'm no, it's, it's what ends up on the, on the page, the very writings themselves, which is why we're so concerned with exactly what Scripture says. It's not just the men who wrote it or the women who wrote it. It's not just the ideas that God inspired and then people got to kind of pick and choose what words they used. It's the very words. And there's so much more we could say about this. Uh, just two, two implications of inspiration that are important for us as we think about being a church that's rooted in the Bible. One is the Bible, if the Bible's inspired, then it's inerrant. That means it's, it's without error. It always tells the truth. Because if the Bible is God's Word, if the Bible is what God says and God cannot lie, then the Bible cannot lie. The Bible is altogether reliable. And second, the Bible is authoritative. The Bible is the Word of God. If it is what God says and God reigns and rules and is sovereign over all creation, then what the Bible says has authority over everything. The Bible is not just true, it's the standard of truth. It's the highest court that we can appeal to in matters of truth. Like I said, there's much more we could say about this. If you want to think more about just some of these characteristics uh, of Scripture, I'd recommend this book, this little book, Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung. We have some copies in uh, the book booth back there. Uh, I would highly recommend this one. It's a, it's a very clear uh, book about uh, what we believe to be true about Scripture. So that's what the Bible is. We need to be rooted in the Bible because the Bible is God's Word. It's what God says to us. We don't have to sit around and guess, oh, I wonder what God thinks about this. He told us. He wrote us a book. We just need to read it. That's what the Bible is. We want to look at what the Bible does. Look at verse 15. There's two things that we're going to see what the Bible does in this passage. The first is that the Bible leads unbelievers to salvation. Verse 15, from childhood, Paul's talking to Timothy, from childhood you, Timothy, have known the sacred writings, the Bible, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible leads unbelievers to salvation. It's able to give the wisdom that leads to salvation. Now, wisdom here doesn't mean practical principles for godly living. Right? When we go into, say, the Old Testament, and we read the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. It usually means something like these are practical principles to live in such a way that pleases God. But here the word wisdom means something different because Paul doesn't mean that the Bible teaches you how to live in such a way, uh, to, 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 to live a godly life and to obey the commands of the Bible so that you will be saved. That's not what he means. Here, the wisdom that the Bible uh, leads us to is the gospel itself. Paul in 1 Corinthians will call the gospel, the proclamation about who Jesus is, and will call Jesus himself the wisdom of God. And so, the 
uh, scriptures can make us wise for salvation, not because they teach us how to live, but because they point us to Jesus who saves us. The whole Bible is about Him. It's about how we fell into sin by rejecting God, wanting to run things our own way, and, and how God sent His Son to die in the place of sinners who deserve judgment. And Kai just told us about this as we worked through that in communion, that, that Jesus came to die as a, as a sacrificial lamb and took on the sin of the world, and that He rose again and He offers eternal life. And so that when somebody asks the apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul doesn't say, I've got 15 principles for godly living for you, and then you'll be saved. What does he say? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you need to hear that it is not living wisely, trying harder to earn God's favor, to do it right that saves you. It's faith in Jesus, the Jesus that's revealed in the Bible, and you need to meet Him. And if, if that's something that interests you, please come talk to me. Come talk to one of our pastors. That's ultimately, the, Bi the Bible will not become sweet to you until Jesus becomes sweet to you and precious to you. And the Bible, God, the Holy Spirit is going to use the Scriptures to draw you to Himself so you can meet Jesus. The Bible leads unbelievers to salvation. Or two, it equips believers for every good work. So look back at verse 16. So he said what the Bible is, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable. So it's not just something that's interesting to read, right? It's not just a, a, a book about history that uh, it's like, well, that's, that's really interesting that that happened. Um, now I'm going to move on to the next thing because it doesn't really have any relevance for my life, right? I've got lots of books about history. I'm a history nerd, so I find those things really interesting, but they don't typically change my life. The Bible's not just a, a book of historical curiosity. It's a book that's living and active and profitable. As the Word speaks to us, as God speaks to us through the Word, it actually changes us. It equips us. The Word of God is profitable, and Paul gives four particular characteristics for tasks that, uh, and they're somewhat overlapping, but give you an idea of what the Bible is profitable for. He says the Bible's profitable for teaching, that is, giving instruction in what's true and right doctrinally, what we should believe, and true and right morally, how we should live. It's profitable for reproof. So, if it teaches us the way we ought to be going, reproof would be, it teaches us how to, how to identify that we're going the, the wrong way and put a stop to it, and that's profitable for correction, which is to turn us from that wrong course and put us on a, a new course, and for training in righteousness, which is to educate and encourage us about how to continue on that, that new course of life. There's overlapping meaning, but, but Scripture teaches us what is true and right, corrects us when we're doing what is wrong, encourages us to pursue that which pleases God. We draw all of our understanding about what is true about who God is and who we are and what the world's like and how we ought to live in the world from Scripture. The result is that 
those who, who are, uh, put themselves under the authority of Scripture may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word adequate, in the way that we use it in English, at least the, word, uh, the way that I typically use it in English, uh, means, often means just good enough. It's like, you know, well, how's that? That's adequate. Like, I'm not crazy about it, but that's enough. That's not what the, the word means here. Uh, probably better would be something like complete, um, competent. It, it's describing that in, in Scripture we have everything that we need to live a life pleasing to God. We have everything we need to, to, to know our sin, to know the gospel, to know how to have a relationship with God, and then how to live in such a way that pleases God. That the the man or the person of God might be thoroughly proficient, might be mature, that is, equipped for every good work. So in Scripture, we have everything we need to do every good work that God calls us to. We don't need anything more than that. We have it. He has given it to us, a treasure in the Word of God. The Bible leads unbelievers to salvation and it equips believers for every good work. Or to put it another way, the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to make and mature disciples. This is the tool that He chooses to use. And so then this is where we end up. Because of what the Bible is, it's inspired by God. And because of what the Bible does, makes and matures disciples, to be a disciple-making church, we have to be a church that is rooted in the Bible. So what does that look like? What does that look like for us to be a church that's rooted in the Bible? I want to suggest four things. Being a church that's rooted in the Bible means that we need to be people who are rooted in the Bible. Right? The, the church is not just an institution or an organization. It's people. It's a body. It's a family. Right? The church doesn't exist without the people. And so if we're going to be a church that's rooted in the Bible, we need to be people who are rooted in the Bible individually. This could maybe look uh, two different ways. One, we need to be rooted in the Bible for our personal growth. Right? You, you can't expect to grow physically apart from eating. You can't expect to grow spiritually apart from the regular intake of the Word of God. So what does your intake of the Word of God look like? Do you read it? Do you study it? Do you listen to it? You come on Sunday morning and you hear it preached, but I'd be willing to bet that you eat more than once a week. What does your interaction with the Word of God look like on a regular basis? It used to be said of John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, who's a Puritan pastor, it used to be said of him that if you pricked his finger, he bled Bible, right? Can that be said of you? Can that be said of me? If you were to, to metaphorically prick your finger, what would it bleed? Would it bleed Bible? Would it bleed movies, or sports, or Instagram, 
or politics. What is your intake of the Word of God looks like so that when, when, uh, when your life is shaken like a glass of water, what comes out of you is the Word of God? How are you filling yourself with the Word of God so that you can grow? A couple things that, that you can do just to think through how you can grow in this area. Uh, one thing you can do is plan. So think through how are you planning to regularly take the Word of God into your life? Because if you don't plan for it, chances are you're probably not going to do it. That's just human nature, right? I want to exercise every morning, sort of. I want to exercise. I should exercise every morning. In order to get me to exercise every morning, I have to put my shoes and my workout clothes next to my bed. So the only thing I have to do is roll out of bed, that's a task in itself, and put those on and then I can go and work out. If those clothes aren't sitting there, the chances of me working, down, uh, working out go down exponentially because I have to walk like five feet to my dresser and that's not going to happen, right? Th now, but this is what we do with Scripture too, isn't it? Right? It's like, oh, I can't do that. I've got, you know. W meanwhile, I will sit uh, uh, on my couch at night and I'm thinking, I don't have enough time to read Scripture and I've got my phone out and I'm just going like this. Why? What, about, what am I going to see there that is going to make me treasure God more than reading Scripture. So how, plan, how are you going to regularly take in the Word of God? What's that going to look like in your life? There's no right way to do it. It only matters that you're doing it. So do you have a plan? Do you have accountability with people to do that? And the second thing is to pray, to ask God to give you a hunger for His Word. If you, if you don't find Scripture to be sweet, ask God to give you a taste for it. And you know what? He'll do it. He'll make the words of Scripture sweet to your taste so that you will want to keep reading and learning from Him. So pray and ask God to give you a hunger for His Word. That's personal growth. We also need to be people who are rooted in the Bible in our personal ministry, right? Our evangelism... Uh, ought to be getting people to open the Bible with us to meet Jesus in the Scriptures. We don't have to worry about our slick gospel presentations or anything like that. And even Austin, right, as he, as he teaches us more about what evangelism looks like, says, listen, the, the goal of e even all of the different strategies and things that we, that we think about, the, the goal is, is not to come up with something so creative that people have to come to Christ. It's, the goal is to get people to open the Bible and meet Jesus, or open the Bible with them and then be there as Jesus introduces himself to those, those people through the pages of Scripture. And our discipling or our mentoring, right? Discipling is just helping others grow to become like Jesus. And if growth happens through the Bible, then the Bible ought to have a, a really central part in uh, our ministry to one another. And that doesn't just mean in, in kind of the formal ministries of the church. That means in the way that we talk to one another, to our friends, to our spouses, to our families, right? If I'm instructing my, my family, my kids, what does it look like for me to, to, to give them the Word of God, to help them grow, or to give them the Word of God in the hope and prayer that God will make them alive in Christ? And in both cases, it's ultimately the Spirit who's doing the work. He's evangelizing, He's discipling, 
And he chooses to use his word. And he chooses, and this ought to humble us, he chooses to use us to bring his word to other people. So what does that look like in your life? If you want uh, another question, uh, couple resources to help you with that. I've recommended this one before. It's called One-to-One Bible Reading. It's a simple guide for what does it look like to sit down with somebody and read the Bible with them, either to to help them meet Jesus or to help them grow to become like Jesus. One-to-one Bible Reading. There's another one that's in the book booth. All these are in the book booth. Another one called Bible Reading with Your Kids. What does it look like to to read with your family? Uh, You can pick those up in, in the book booth. Ask for the Pastor John special. It's no cheaper, but you'll just get all three for the price of three. Second, we're must hasten to the end. Our time is quickly running short. Our pulpit must be rooted in the Bible. Now, this most obvious example, we preach every week from the Bible, so this shouldn't be surprising, but you got to understand, if the Bible is God's Word, if this is where the authority is found, if this is where the truth is, is found that if we're not preaching from the Bible, then we have nothing to give you, right? We're not that creative and we're not that smart. We have the Bible and that's all. If we're not preaching from the Bible, we can't speak with authority. We can't instruct you in the truth. We can't lead you to salvation and we can't grow you in godliness. Without the Word, we have nothing to give you. But the Word of God is living and active and powerful. So we preach the Word. You have to have a pulpit that's rooted in the Bible. Third, our programs must be rooted in the Bible. So being rooted in the Bible as a church means more than just preaching on Sundays. It means everything that we're doing is oriented around the Word of God. That doesn't mean that every single thing we do is a verse-by-verse Bible study, though those things are really wonderful and we love doing them. But it does mean that everything that we do needs to have an organic connection to the Word of God. If if the, the Bible is where we're supposed to be rooted, then the roots not only give us a foundation, but they also continually nourish us so that we can bear fruit. Right? We don't get rooted in something once and then say, boy, that was, that's great that we got rooted. Now we can forget about those, those roots. Those, the, the roots continue to feed us so that we can be fruitful for God. In the same way that we want to be people who, if we're pricked, we bleed the Bible We want you to be able to to prick any of the the programs or ministries or anything that we do here at the church and have that bleed Bible too. Then lastly, being a church rooted in the Bible means that our priorities have to be rooted in the Bible. This could be both priorities for what we do as a church, right? The Bible doesn't only form the content of our teaching, it also sets the agenda for our ministry. There are lots of things that churches can do or could do, What should churches do? How do we decide what we will and won't do? So we have to submit ourselves and allow the Bible to form and reform our priorities as a church. And this means that we're going to say no to some things, maybe lots of things, in order that we can say yes to the things that we think Scripture prioritizes. The Bible not only sets the priorities for what we do, it also sets the priorities for what we value. And we'll end here. Sets the priorities for what we value. What do we most highly prize? What we prize will shape the decisions that we make and the battles that we fight and the sacrifices that we're willing to endure. And if we value 
cultural relevance or prominence or money or prestige or power or any of the other idols that, that churches are so drawn to. If we value those things as a church, we will compromise and we're going to be found unfaithful to the word of God. And so we need to be rooted in the Bible in such a way that we let the Bible determine what we value, faithfulness to God, and that we're willing to make decisions that will help us be, continue to be faithful to the Word of God, even if they're costly to us. And I want to tell you a story that illustrates that. This is Henry Lucarambi. He's the former Archbishop of the Church of Uganda and is an Anglican church in Africa, an evangelical Anglican church, very theologically conservative. Uh, he's one of my heroes. You've probably never heard of him, but he was, uh, he was uh, one of the prominent leaders in the church of Uganda in the early 2000s. And uh, in the early 2000s, the Anglican churches in Africa, which again are very conservative, uh, were, were faced with a sort of a conundrum. Um, for a long time, a, a large portion of their uh, financial support had come from Western churches, particularly those in, in the UK and in America, churches like the Episcopal Church. But as, as those churches, as those Anglican churches in the West began to, to drift more and more from biblical teaching, especially on things like sexual ethics, the, these Anglican churches in Africa began to say, I don't know that we can continue our relationship with these churches if they're going to deviate so much from the Word of God. They became increasingly disheartened and concerned. So in 2003, the Church of Uganda, and Arambi was prominent among its leaders, said that if the Episcopal Church in America was going to continue to deviate from biblical teaching, that they would sever their relationship with them. They would cut their fellowship with them and the Episcopal Church's response was that if the Church of Uganda severed ties with them, then they would no longer be receiving financial support. And that was a big deal. That's a lot of money and a lot of ministry that they would be giving up. And Henry Lucarambi's reply to this was simple. He said, We don't need your money. We'll stick with the Word of God. That's what it means to be a church that's rooted in the Bible. That's the kind of church, by God's grace, we want to be. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray that we would indeed be found faithful to the Word of God, that, that we would believe what it teaches and trust what it promises and obey what it commands that we might uh, be fruitful in our ministry for you. We recognize that it is not by power, not by might. It is by your spirit that ministry happens, that the gospel is advanced, that disciples are made. And we pray that we would be faithful in, in both taking in and giving out your word so that more people can come to know Jesus and grow to become like him. Will you do it for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.